before the 18th century, that age of enlightenment, in art, it is interesting that children were depicted as little adults. It may be that you have noticed this before in your meanderings through a museum. Um, But it is very much the case that uh, if you look at the paintings of artists prior to the 18th century, children look like shrunken down adults. Do you look at it? Check me on this this afternoon and see if that is not the case. Now, that would be with the exception, perhaps, of the Christ child, who in Mary's arms, artists seem to get that pretty right. But other children are so depicted so wrongly until the age of enlightenment. There are multiple theories to explain why this is the case. I was fascinated that one of the theories is that the mortality rate was simply so high among children across the years. Um, In Methodist minister's backpack, he can always reach back and pull out some little truth about the Wesley family. You've seen me do that, haven't you? to reach back and to pull out a little bit of information about John Wesley. Stephanie does the same thing. So it's just a part of our job description, you know. But as we share, you may have heard me say that John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, had he was one of 19 siblings. Do you remember me saying that? Or maybe some other minister has shared that. One of 19 siblings, which is hard for us to wrap our minds around. But it would be important for you to know that at no time in John Wesley's growing up were there more than 10 children in the household. Now think about this for just a little bit. There were so many deaths at birth or shortly thereafter that many of those children did not reach adulthood. I was reading in a book recently a fact that I did not know, and that is that Susanna and Samuel Wesley had actually birthed two sets of twins. The first set of twins died at birth. They were stillborn. The second set lived only about a year before they died. Fascinating that you and I live in a culture in which infant mortality has been put into a different perspective. But up until the last 150 years, it was just brutal what parents were dealing with. It is said that at the time that Jesus walked the face of the earth, that infant mortality rates were nearly 60%. Think about that. Having a child, looking into the eyes of the child, and knowing that it is more likely that that child will not make it to 16 years of age than he or she will make it to 16 years of age. And that is the age at which I mention because it was the age of viability. If you've made it that far, you're going to make it. In their minds, they were saying. So one of the things that artists perhaps were doing 
was just minimalizing the amount of time that they spent painting children. Why spend too much time on it? Just paint them in and be done with it. One of the things that you'll find if you look at art from the old world is that children simply did not make the paintings at all. They weren't pictured very often. Another fact that might be a theory that is just as probable is one that you probably have heard. And that is one that goes along with the idea that children, have you heard this, should be seen and not heard. You know this, don't you? It's one that plays itself out in any number of ways. But it is all about keeping children in their place. When Sue and I moved to Lyons, Georgia, and I was the pastor there of the Methodist Church, we had not been in town long until there was a church-covered dish meal in the fellowship hall. I still remember it vividly. One of the matriarchs of the church came to me, as is always the case at these kinds of events, and said, Preacher, it's just about time for you to say the prayer. But as she said that, she also said, she also said, we've got to do something about this problem with the children. And I thought, this problem with the children? What's the problem with the children? I thought, in fact, I've got three children that are here right now. And she said, she said, the children are always rushing and the parents are even pushing them up to the first of the line. We've got to talk about this. This is not the way it used to be. (laughs) And with that, I said, would you bow your heads and pray with me? (laughs) And I said the prayer before the meal. Immediately upon my having finished the prayer, a younger mother in the room who had overheard what was going on and knew that it was directed partially at least toward her, she came over and talked with me and she said, you got to understand this. She said, "Um, I cannot think straight Neither can my children until they have a plate of food in front of them. In my opinion, all of the children should go first and then the parents and others should come afterwards. And I thought, how am I going to figure this one out? (laughs) You know how this goes. Those kinds of tensions are there because we have variant ideas about what to do with children. Over the course of your life, how have you looked at children? Have you embraced the idea of who they are and what they are about? Are are they little more than an irritant to you? Do you find that they get in the way of what your adult plans might be? Play has long been seen as a non-productive and less important part of life. And it is conceivable to me that artists did not focus for years and years on what a child really looks like because they minimized the importance of what was going on in the life of a child. Some of you may remember school recess when you were young. That was an important part of life for me. And it was horrifying to me when I realized 
that when I entered into college, that another concept was hitting elementary school. And for a period of what I would estimate to be about 20 years, there was a time in which these schools were not holding recess anymore because there was such an emphasis upon these scores, these tests that were being taken and these scores that they would keep the children in the classroom without giving them a break. There wasn't time to do anything else but to move them from English to math to history. And so they exited recess. I thought to myself, do they think that we never learned anything who had had recess when we were young? (laughs) Fortunately, someone has come back around to reinstitute recess into the program. And I think it's a good thing letting children do what children do best. Children are just in this dependent phase, in this becoming phase? No. Children are valuable for what God has made them to be. And you can pick up on this in this passage of scripture that has been shared. But let me read the whole of it to you. It's only four verses long. We heard one verse just a few moments ago, but let me read the surrounding verses. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. I love this passage. Who are the people that are being referred to that were bringing their children to Jesus? You may have thought, well, this was just anybody that was there on the street that just happened to have a child with them. Think about this just a little bit. These were the parents that were longing for their children to be sustained in life. They knew what could happen. They also had seen that Jesus was this healer, extraordinary healer, mysterious, working almost magic amongst those that knew him closely. And they wanted by their closeness to Jesus that their children too might be blessed by him and might grow to be adults one day, be preserved from all harm. And so they brought them close to Jesus, a longing for them to survive. But the disciples knew better than they They were realists. They knew this was just the way it was. This was the world as they knew it. The parents should get a grip and realize that some children live, some children die. It's not important. And yet, can you ever explain this to a parent who wants their child, their child, to survive and to be cared for? Jesus saw through all of that religiosity of the disciples and their management of his time and his attention. And in fact, it says that he became indignant, very agitated with them, agitated that they didn't get it. They still didn't get it. Even at this point in the telling of the story, Mark is making it clear to us 
as Jesus is headed toward the cross, they still did not get it. He said, let the little children come, for to such belongs the kingdom of God, as if to say to them what they should have already known, they are to be included too. And then he speaks the inconceivable to them by saying, whoever does not receive the kingdom as a little child will never enter it. Which was as if to say to them, can you remember when someone included you? Because we have the tendency to forget that. This is all about embracing a new way of thinking about God and what God is up to. But you get it, don't you? You understand that Jesus was always lifting up the value of those who were quote unquote non-persons. Wasn't it Jesus that did not avoid going through Samaria but traced his steps directly into those places where people who were considered non-beings that he would encounter them in conversation. And Jesus opened himself not only to Samaritans, but to all Samaritans. When his disciples came back and saw that he was sitting at the side of a well and a Samaritan woman was speaking to him and he to the woman, they could not understand what could ever have brought this about. And yet Jesus saw the value of this woman, this Samaritan, and was welcoming her into the kingdom of God. Do you remember how Jesus cared for the poor and how he saw them as being just as important as anyone else who might be a moneyed person? And how he even said on one occasion, pointing out the older widow who was placing two little coins into the temple treasury as they dropped with a clink and others who would have thought it was absolutely of no worth whatsoever. Jesus said she's given more than any other man. And I say that very strongly because it was a temple filled with men. Any other man that is in this place. And Jesus cared for the sick as if they really mattered. Even those who were untouchable, those who were covered with leprosy, Jesus would reach out to them and would bless them by his grace. And so who are we to stand here and think that Jesus in some way would not welcome children to his side and embrace them as being an important part of kingdom work. Why, John says it himself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him, everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. 
One of the things that is so beautiful about the United Methodist Church is that when we share together in Holy Communion, uh, we always, and you hear both myself and Stephanie say this when we serve communion, we invite all who are present because we believe in an open table. You have heard me say many times before when it's time to receive communion that we welcome even if you are visiting in this sanctuary, in this place with us, you are as welcome at the table as anyone else who is in this room. We never say it, but we mean it. That includes children. (laughs) It is a part of Methodist tradition that children would receive Holy Communion, lest there be any question about that. In fact, if you want to look this up, you just Google it on umc.org this afternoon and you can read about it. Children are welcomed in this place and encouraged to participate and that's the way it should be. My mother, when I was but three years old, four years old, used to tell me, very lovingly, the story of how I came to be, and I believed it. She said, Bill, she said, before you were born, um, God lined up for me all of the unborn children. And I would look at her, and she would say, they were all in a line. Every one of them were in a line. And he said, okay, you get to choose And she said, I still remember walking down the line and I would look at a child, but it wasn't the right child. And I would go to the next child and I would think, "This this is not the child. And I would go to the next child. And finally, I would get to, and she would put her finger on my chest. She would say, I got to you. And I knew this was exactly the child for me. I wanted to hear that story over and over and over again. It was so incredibly powerful. And it was so filled with truth, mythical truth, but truth that I needed to hear. Wouldn't it be incredible if not just the parents at Pittman Park we're sending that message to their children. But if the church as a whole owned into the idea that it is our responsibility as well to make every child that we come in contact with believe that they are chosen of God to be in his kingdom. And yet we've got to be creative about this because you and I need to break outside of the little blocks that we set for ourselves in our minds and ask ourselves the question, how do we include non-persons in our invitation? You may say, I don't know any non-persons. Oh, 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 but you do. 
It is the very ones who you would least be likely to go and invite to be a part of anything that is going on here at Pittman Park. Welcoming children and their families outside of our socioeconomic class, outside of our ethnicity, outside of our political alignments, welcoming others is the only way we will ever reach that goal of 100 children involved in our activities on Sunday morning here at Pittman Park. I heard someone say recently, when do we start inviting? Now, this is the time. Now is the time. Let no one be mistaken that we have done the preparatory work. Have you seen the number of volunteers that have gathered? And we still need more, of course, but we have been just inundated with people that want to be a part of this. Have you seen the organizational work that has gone on to make this on Sunday mornings not one of the best, but the best, the best children's program in all of Statesboro? Have you seen the efforts that are being made to that regard? And can you imagine now not inviting others to be a part? Why it would make the preparations useless. And so I'm going to ask you to get serious about this. No, no. In fact, I'm, I'm going to ask you to loosen up about this, to loosen up and to have fun with this and to do things that are absolutely creative that will take you beyond your comfort zone and to remember that foundational to who we are is the idea that God welcomes everyone, everyone to be a part of his kingdom in breaking among us. And so I'm gonna give you some homework that instead of walking this week, I know that some of you walk for exercise even if it's just to get out in the yard and walk around your house, but some of you walk through the neighborhoods and you have, have a schedule that's your own. But your homework this week is instead of walking, try skipping. <laughs> try skipping. And you're saying to yourself, well, that's not very dignified. And you're right, it's not very dignified. And you're saying to yourself, well, my neighbors are gonna think something's up. And you're absolutely right, your neighbors will think something's up. 
And yet, my question is, is anything up? (laughs) What I am most concerned is that Jesus said, let the children come. Let the children come. Let's make that happen.